Welcome back, journeyers, to another episode of Reed Keeper's Journey. So last episode, the kids were captured by a strange group of women, and they were led to this enormous tree. Uh, we also found out that Heather is also plagued by nightmares and being chased by the woman with the eyes. Now, back to the story. Chapter 6 Michael dreamt that he ran blindly on a landscape that twisted and roiled beneath him, a place full of black liquid pools and faces that flowed from male to female and then crumpled like dry leaves. The flesh on his shoulder felt like it was boiling in slow motion, and the cuts on his face spewed pus. Peace, Michael. The voice of a spring breeze and blooming flowers whispered to him amidst the madness of the nightmare. What? Michael panted as he ran. Peace, Michael. The voice was infused with life. I am with you. Where? His teeth chattered while his body burned. Faces surrounded him. Hands groped him. No, he groaned. He tried to struggle, but his muscles felt like liquid. His body refused to stop shaking. The hands, they were all over him. He couldn't break free. He was falling. Or was he being carried? Michael awoke to find himself staring at a wood floor, the nightmare already fading. After a moment of disorientation, he realized he was face down on a cot. A hole had been cut out of the padding so he could rest his head comfortably. He stared at the wooden floor, puzzling over why it seemed so odd. The grain of the wood was not straight. It ran in parallel arcs as if the floor was carved from one gigantic piece of wood. One black line about the thickness of his thumb stood out and gave the impression of a scar. His head throbbed, but his shoulder was vastly improved. At least it no longer felt like someone had taken a rusty wire brush to it. Now it felt like someone had slowly and painfully peeled several layers of his skin off. He could see someone had covered the burn with some type of gauze, but he didn't have the energy to mess with it. If it's working, why bother? He slipped into a dreamless state. A better sleep. He woke again, this time to hands removing his bandages. He remained motionless, but was roughly brought into an upright position. He sat before three very displeased-looking girls. Two, clothed in tunics that fell slightly below the knees, looked as though they couldn't be much older than thirteen. Their clothing was splashed with colors, dark greens, purples, and flagrant yellows, and their white belts matched the ribbons that were woven into their pigtails. The third appeared to be near his age, around seventeen. Her hair was a rich brown twisted into one long braid that was entwined with a green ribbon. She looked at him. It was not a pleasant look. Where's my sister? Where am I? Who are you? He demanded. Her unpleasant look was replaced with a puzzled one. She barked something in a brusque language. It seemed to be a question, but Michael could only shake his head unknowingly. Her eyes widened in surprise and then narrowed in suspicion. She spoke again in what seemed to be another tongue. It sounded softer, more fluid, instead of sharp and angular. When he continued with his silence, 
She cocked her head in confusion, like a bird examining the worm it was about to devour. She shrugged, spoke to the girls, and left. It was the manner in which she left that mystified him. She faced one of the wooden walls, and it divided in two, like a curtain. She stepped through, and it sealed flawlessly behind her. From where he sat, Michael could not detect any line or seam in the wood. Michael's mind refused to accept what he had just witnessed. He felt as if he had taken a blow to the head. There was no door, and yet the wood parted easily for her. His eyes slid away from the spot like oil on water. A smothering blanket of surrealism descended on him, and he couldn't breathe. He wanted to run or sleep or scream as his mind tried to grasp the impossibility of what he had just seen. The floor fell away from his feet, and he heard voices shout at him down a long hallway. With a perplexed start, he realized his face was pressing against the ground. Michael was pulled to his feet, and one of the girls shoved a shirt against his chest. The wall split open again, and he was pushed through the implausible opening. Chapter 7 Heather sat in a round room on a colored jarring cushion, one of many that littered the chamber. Everyone was present except Michael. Ken laid on another cushion in a sullen silence, quiet but not restful. Bear sat removed from them all, deep in thought, his thick thumbs twirling around each other. Stacy stood and stared at the door, for lack of a better word, that they had been ushered through. Bear and Steve had to physically restrain her when their captors had carried Michael away. Surprisingly, it was Ken who calmed the hysterical girl down. From the way that Michael and Ken interacted, Heather suspected the two had known each other for a very long time to the point that they treat each other more like family than friends. And, in turn, Stacy most likely viewed Ken as some type of surrogate older brother. There's a quiet desperation when friends argue, Heather found, where one or both feel like the fight could be the end of the friendship. In Heather's experience, family members didn't have that fear. They knew they were stuck with each other, and that knowledge allowed them to be more honest and the fights to be much bigger. After Michael was carried away, the remaining group was led down countless corridors, farther and higher into the depths of the wood behemoth, before they reached the massive room. She tried not to think about the fact that she was sitting in the belly of a living thing, but the thought persisted, squirming its way through her mind. Being in the tree robbed her of any sense of time. Finding themselves in the meadow, Heather shivered at the memory. It was disorienting enough. In truth, she didn't even know how long they were knocked out before they woke up. Heather calmed her mind by ticking off the facts she knew. They had been given a small meal shortly after they arrived in the current chamber. Then they dozed from boredom and stress for a very long time. So she assumed it was nearing the next day for the group. The tree was teeming with these girls like aphids on a rose bush. Some were clothed in colorful tunics, others in armor. Their treatment towards her and the others had improved remarkably after the argument between the two group leaders. Heather wouldn't be surprised if those two were related. She hoped that was the last interaction the group would have with the one with the red hair. That girl had trouble written all over her. Heather knew the type. She had seen plenty of them in her high school. Heaven help the boy that falls in love with that one, she thought. Upon her brother's removal, Stacy had sunken into a depressed silence almost immediately. 
Heather could not relate to the closeness that the brother and sister shared. She was the third child in a string of four, and it could never be said that she was close to either of her older sisters or her younger brother. A profound trust had to be present for such a tight relationship to occur. Heather made it a point not to trust anyone, or at least she had made it a point, which, like most of her thoughts, brought her back to Steve. Her eyes wandered over to him. Steve stood next to Stacy, trying to cheer the poor girl up. She wasn't responding, but he persisted with childlike determination. Heather smiled to herself. Steve in a nutshell, obstinate but kind. When Steve asked you how you were doing, he cared about the answer. He had a way of listening to Heather when they spoke quietly together that made her feel heard and understood. Maybe that's all she was looking for. Someone who was simply genuine. He noticed her gaze. After whispering a few more encouraging words to Michael's sister and giving her a one-armed hug, he headed over to where Heather sat. How is she doing? Heather whispered. All right. Mostly stunned and, of course, worried sick about Mike. Steve sat on the painfully green cushion next to her. I'm sure she'll be fine when he shows up. I think she could withstand anything as long as he was there to see her through it. Have they always been that close? Steve shrugged. I think more in the last few years. Their parents are a real piece of work, but I think Mike takes the brunt of it, especially from the father. Pardon my French, but he's a real prick. Oh, Michael's the hero, she explained. People take on roles when their family goes down the drain. He protects and guards his sister. I bet he even antagonizes his father to draw him away from her. Steve raised a questioning eyebrow. My mom's a psychologist, remember? I've heard of roles and scenarios all my life. Do me a favor, he smiled. Remind me not to meet her. She'd have a field day with me. She probably would, she thought. After a moment, he took her hand. Are you all right? She looked into his eyes. He has the most beautiful hazel eyes, she thought for the hundredth time. Yes, I'm fine, just completely weirded out. It would help if I had some clue of where we are. I thought we were just washed downstream, but the tree, she trailed off with a shiver. It's going to be okay. We'll all be back home before you know it. His thumb caressed the back of her hand, and she returned his smile, as she always did. She knew that he had no idea what was going to happen, but his reassurance spread warmth through her body. Stacy gave out a cry and bolted into her brother's arms. Michael stood just inside the room, the door already melding seamlessly into a wall in a way that made Heather want to retch. He appeared okay, though he looked a trifle startled as Stacy clutched him. Careful, sis. I'm fragile, he smiled, but Heather could easily tell from across her room that he was weak. A purple welt stood out on his temple. Stacy saw it too. Are you okay? Sit down. What did they do to you? She dragged him across the room and sat him on an obnoxiously orange cushion. What happened to you guys? Michael asked around Stacy's examination of his wounds and her orders to be still. Oh, we're doing just fine until Bear started a fire, Ken snorted. About a dozen of those midget Amazons jumped out of nowhere. I thought they were going to kill us. As I recall, they didn't do anything until you made a run for it, Steve interjected. Maybe, Bear said, trying to forestall an argument. If someone came into my yard and started a fire, I'd probably react the same way. Where are we? 
Michael gently fingered the purple wound on his temple until Stacy pulled his hand away. This feels like some wigged-out fairy tale. I know exactly where we are, Steve said. We're lost. Thanks, Steve. I wasn't sure about that. Ken's voice dripped sarcasm. I don't think we're on Earth. Or at least any Earth we've known. Heather said hesitantly, and she ignored Michael's shocked look. What we have to do now, Ken cut in, is find a way to get out of here. Who knows how long these little freaks intend to keep us around like pets. What do you think they're going to do once they get tired of us? Hasn't anyone noticed that we haven't seen one man? They probably eat them. Ken, Steve said, still holding Heather's hand. I really don't think they intend us any harm. If we just sit quiet and look docile, I'm sure they'll realize this was all one big misunderstanding. That's probably the best idea. Michael's hand went back to his temple. Stacy pulled his hand away, and Michael gave her a disgruntled look. Will you cut that out? I'm not made of glass. Stacy gave her brother a look like she was about to give him a matching bump on the other side of his head. Heather agreed with Steve. She didn't believe these people meant them any real harm, but Ken did have a point. I don't even think escape is an option, she said. This tree is enormous. I could never find my way out of here, let alone try to sneak out with thousands of these women looking for us. I don't even know how to get out of this room. Do you, Ken? Tree? Michael asked, confused. What tree? I think, Steve hesitated, sounding unsure. It's weird, but I think I could find my way out of here. North, he cocked his head to the right, is that way. It's like I could almost feel it. What do you mean, tree? Michael asked again. After we were captured, Bear said, we were all led into this gigantic tree. That's after we sat baking in the sun for hours with spears pointed at us, Ken added. You mean like a redwood or something? Michael held on to his uncertainty. Time's a thousand, Steve said. My dad owns a lot out of town. It's about 40 acres. I'm sure this thing could cover it, and then some. Guys, if Steve can get us out of here, let's go! The last word almost ended in a desperate bark. I think we should wait and see what they want, Michael said, and Bear nodded in agreement. This could be our only chance, Ken's voice rose. They don't know we can find a way out. That's why they haven't posted any guards. It's too big of a risk. Michael ran a hand through his brown, red-flecked hair. We don't even know if they mean us any harm. Maybe they're just being cautious. We could lose our only help in this place if we go off half-cocked. The risk is staying here. Ken stepped directly in front of Michael, who didn't seem to notice the air in the room change. It's not worth it, Michael shook his head. First, we need to find out who these people are, or at least where we are, before we consider getting away. In fact, we don't even know which direction to run if we did make it out. Who cares which direction, as long as away from these psychos? We don't have time to sit around until they decide to make pincushions out of us. We need to get out of here now, before it's too late. Ken's face looked strained as his voice continued to grow louder. Steve, let's do it. Steve looked like he would rather be anywhere else in the world than between these two. I don't know. What do you think, Heather? Thanks for bringing me into this, she thought. Um, I think Michael has a good point. If they were going to kill us, they already would have, right? I'm not going to do anything that might endanger Stacy. Michael's voice firmed. 
It looked like he had finally picked up on Ken's attitude. You guys can do whatever you want, but Stacy and I are staying here until we can figure out what's going on. I'd rather stay, Steve said somberly. Bear nodded again. Damn it, Michael! Ken's voice was way too loud. Who put you in charge? No one. Michael's eyes sparkled dangerously. Heather could swear that the cuts on his face were getting more inflamed. She resisted the urge to take a step back. We're in this together, and we've decided to stay. Now, you can leave, or stop acting like a child and accept it. Heather felt the air go cold. Ken was swelling on the verge of exploding when two girls, who could not be any more than ten years old, entered the battlefield. Ken nearly bit his tongue off, swallowing his rage. They were dressed in the same simple white tunics with matching ribbons in their pigtails. They each had an intricate golden embroidery over their left breast with a matching clasp for the cord around their waist. The two gracefully approached Heather. They touched their right hands to their lips and then to their forehead and whispered something in a hushed awe. They turned and repeated this gesture to the others, but without speaking, except for Michael. They faced him, touched their hands from their heart to their lips, and said something that seemed to Heather like it was full of indifference. They turned and motioned everyone to follow them out of the chamber. Well, that's all for this episode, Journeyers. Come back next week and we'll find out where the kids are going to be led to, and maybe a little bit more about these strange women and the crazy tree they live in. Until then, thank you for listening, and be good to one another.